This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. The Pasuk says, That these men who are lawless came out from among you. They led astray the people of their city, saying, Let's go and serve other gods that you had no idea about. So the Miamlois tells us that this Parsha is talking about Irenidachas, the concept of a city that was led astray because of Avodah Zarah. The Gemara in Avodah Zarah in Sanhedrin, Ayin Aleph, says, that this has never happened before. And it could be that the reason why is because it's almost impossible for all these conditions to go through. It's very complicated, very lengthy, and therefore because of that we assume that the Iranidachas will never happen. So the Madichim, those who caused the Iranidachas to happen, are killed by Skila. Even if they themselves never worship the idols that they're trying to convince other people to do, nonetheless just convincing others to do it they get skila, according to the Rabbanon, Rabbi Shimon holds they get chenek. The people of the city are killed by saif if they did any deed or act that shows their acceptance of this God. Their possessions are then destroyed. Everything they own is destroyed completely. The madichim have to be more than one person. Because it says yatsu anashim benebliel in plural, it has to be more than one person altogether. And they have to be from that city that they convinced, Yoshve Iram, of their own city, and from the same Shevet as well. They have to be from the same tribe as well. If they convince more than half of their Shevet, then it's no longer an Irnidachas. They're all considered Yechidim. You see these weird conditions involved over here? This city is judged by a Sanhedrin of 71 judges. You can't have 23, not 3. It's got to be 71 altogether, no less than that. And it cannot happen to either a city outside of Eretz Yisrael, a city on the border of Eretz Yisrael, an Ir Miklat, that's one of the refuge cities that the Levian went to, or even Yerushalayim. A Bazin is not allowed to make three cities into an Irnidachas, three cities at the same time, but they are allowed to do two. That's based on different wording in the Pasuk. And if there's a single mezuzah or a Sefer Torah in that city, then you don't destroy anything in that city, which means it cannot happen. It's not going to happen because you can imagine a Jewish city is going to have at least one mezuzah or one Sefer Torah. That's the idea behind it. That's why the Gemara says, never happened, never will happen. It's gone completely. Each person needs separate edim and hasra. That means you need witnesses and a warning to tell you what's happening before and to get that involved, including the madichim, the people getting involved in there. Obviously, this would be very difficult because, you know, obviously, in theory, it could be that you could make it in a massive coliseum and warn everybody all at once. But to have every single person in the city warned at the same time and to have Adam witnesses that are all over the place, they were able to see everything right there, it's almost impossible. But it could happen. The Malbim talks about this a little bit. The Shach Hadzan, that even though, obviously, we know it's not going to happen, the Irnidach has never happened before, we'll give some examples of where it almost happened, nonetheless, we still include it in the Torah because of the concept of drush the kabel schar. Darshan something, and you get rewarded for being involved in that. That's why the Pasuk used the word lemor, the wording, vayadichu is yoshve iram lemor. This is to tell us that this concept not only exists, but it's super important to go through and to understand so that we know, even though it hasn't happened, we can't allow ourselves to be led astray by people that are trying to push us away. Even if they're people from our own city, from our own tribe, people that like us very much, we have to be careful of these types of people trying to tell us to go 
around in such a way. Although Rabbi Yonason in that Gemara over there in Sanhedrin says, I saw an Irinidachas and I sat on a mound of an Irinidachas after it was kept, after it was done, whatever it is. Nonetheless, it's possibly held some of these conditions may have happened, but not all of them. There was never and never will be a full Irinidachas that has ever happened. Now, going back to the Pasuk, the Pasuk says, there are people that are lawless. They're considered like lawless. Now, Rashi says, means without a yoke, which means they've taken the yoke of Hashem off themselves. They do not believe in God. They have nothing to do with God. They believe that they don't have anything. They don't need anything with God. Targum Yonason says they don't have the yoke of Torah, meaning there are people who could care less about what the Torah says. They might believe in God, but they don't believe in the Torah that we have, nor in the Shas that we have, meaning he's an unlearned man. The Radak in Shroshim gives a third explanation. He says, Belial means worthless. He doesn't have anything. Rapersh adds the unrestrained one, the one with no future, or the good-for-nothing one. That's Belial, and the idea behind it is Belial. He doesn't go up. He does, he's not worth anything. There's nothing that he can do in his life. That's where the word Belial comes from. That's our third translation. Targum Unculus just calls them evil, evil people altogether. That Belial is one word, and it's somebody who's an evil person. Rav Sadiagon says it's a non-believer, that he doesn't believe a God that's similar to what Rashi says. The Rokeach says is Baal Ya'al, that they should never have thought about doing this in the first place. It shouldn't have never gone up in their thought process to do something like this, to convince other people to do something wrong. Rav Sternbach says, he says, I, I think this is sort of obvious. There's no way that a nobody is going to be able to convince me to do a Bodhazara. If I see a guy in the street who's like that guy at Tel Aviv who like sits around there all day long and he like goes up to me and he's like, worship this idol, it's not like I'm going to listen to that guy. I'm not going to listen to a guy who's homeless and living under a bridge in the middle of downtown Chicago. He's not going to be able to convince me to be able to do something. Rather, he says, it is a hush of person. It's a guy who is well-known. It's a guy who learned in yeshiva and went through the yeshiva system, maybe even became a rav and became a really important rav. But at some point went off and decided he was going to do something completely different. These people, unfortunately, have access to words of Torah. They might even have maimari chazal, statements of chazal that they can throw at you and say, see, here, this mimer shows you that I'm right. Unfortunately, that's the way that Jews for J sometimes are. The Jews for J will get out there and they'll tell you things like, see, the Torah says this. And if you're not a learned person in Navi, and who is, right? Unless you come to my Wednesday night, Navi's here. But if, who is otherwise, right? There's no reason, that's a plug. So th- there's no reason for any of this to have actually happened. And that's a lesson. It's a super lesson to go through. That we have to be extremely careful of the people that we listen to. That the people that we do listen to, the people that are going about and telling us Divrei Torah, have to be people that at least we've vetted before. And I recognize that this is going on Torah anytime, and the people who are watching on Torah anytime have no clue who I am. They just know that my email is rabbizim.gmail.com. That's pretty much it. There's nothing else that they have to get out of it. But I guess Torah anytime sort of vetted me. I guess. Anyway, but regardless, that's the idea behind it, that in order to really recognize who these people are, says Rav Sternbach, you have to be super careful that what they're doing is not just lip service, that they're actually living up 
to what they're saying, and they're not doing it for wealth, honor, and fame. And I promise you I'm not doing this for wealth. Maybe honor and fame, but wealth is not, is, that's not happening. That's the idea that Rav Sternbuch says over here, and how he explains the Bli Ya'al is referring to, to just be careful with the people that go out there among you, to be super careful about them. The Rabbeinu Bachaya says, these are people who will never go up. Bli Ya'al is Baal Ya'al, as we said before, the idea of never going up, meaning... They will never go to the mechitza of Akarish Baruchu, meaning they'll never, never make it to Olam Haba. The Shachal Torah says because these people are uprooted completely from where they are in the ground, as if they're root in the ground. They're totally taken out. And just like Adas Korach was judged with fire and swallowed up by the ground, these people are the exact same way. They're going to be utterly destroyed forever with no future. That's the idea behind it. In Sanhedrin Kufir Aleph it says, over there as well. The people of an Irani Dachas have no chalik in Olam Haba. They will never be brought back for Tchiyas HaMesim, which means they're lost forever. Maybe that's why we say it can never happen, because every Jew has to have a chalik in Olam Haba. That's how the parak starts off in Sanhedrin, Kol Yisrael Yishlom Chalik Olam Haba. That's chalik, the last parak of Sanhedrin, perhaps... Right? That's the idea behind why it will never happen. But anybody who is involved in Irani Dachas, if the Irani Dachas ever would happen, would be cut off completely and would never be able to be brought back. Yeah, Dave? So we said it before, Jush V'Kabel Schar. There's a lot that we're going to learn from this. One of them is the idea of staying away from the Anshe Belial. But we're going to mention all these lessons that we have from it. So yeah. That's, uh, that's only Rav Sternbach's shot, right? But everybody else is going the other direction. So, do we apply this to, like, a secular sort of philosophy? Like yeah, for sure. Jews yeah, like a, a person that went in a different direction than what we ha- should be going in. Right. Somebody who doesn't have that Mesorah or Kabbalah that we're supposed to have. Yeah, I would say for sure. Yeah, Yaakov. Yes, it's going to have to be Klal Yisrael. We'll see. That's why it says that the border city couldn't happen. If there are non-Jews in that city, they're not counted for the Irinidachas, and it's possible the entire city doesn't count as an Irinidachas. The Rambam doesn't mention that, but it is brought down somewhere that I looked up. I'd have to look it up. Maybe it's in the Minchas Chinuch, right? But yes, those people, if there are non-Jews in the city, that knocks it off completely, and possibly for good. Now, there's more over here as well. The Torah Tamima says that the Gemara... Since the, the Gemara that says that they have no chilek in Olam contradicts another Gemara, that anybody who's killed by Bezdin gets a kapara. If you get killed by Bezdin, you get a kapara for what you did. And since you get a kapara, you're automatically going to go to Olam Haba. So I don't understand. The Gemara tells us that these people have no chilek in Olam Haba, but they got killed by Bezdin. So they are going to get a chilek in Olam Haba. What, what in the world's going on here? So there are those people that erase this line from the Mishnayis and Sanhedrin because of that. And if you look in the Gemara and Sanhedrin, you'll see there are some places that will have a parenthesis by Yoshvei Iranidachas, Einlam Chilakolam Abba. It'll be taken out completely from the Gemara, taken out completely from the Mishnayis because it can't be. We know that they all should belong into something like that. So Tosvos says, Tosvos answers that question by saying they're not killed, right? Only if they're not killed will they have nothing in the world, uh, world to come. If they somehow get out of it, or in the end they don't get killed, 
then they have no chilek in Olam Abba. But if they are killed by Beisden, then they will have a chilek in Olam Abba. They'll receive their kapara. That's Tosa's answer. The Ran, Rabbi Nunisim's there, he doesn't like this. He says, he holds Misa is a kapara by everyone else, but not by Morden or Kofrim, <laughs> people that rebel or people that deny God's existence. And that's exactly what this Gemara is trying to say. In Irani Dachas are the Kofrim and the Morden. Those people have absolutely nothing. Sanhedri Kitana says the death of these people is not because of a kapara in Beisden. It's because of the concept of Viarto Harami Kirbecha, get rid of the evil among you. No, can you pull me water? So that, not because of a kapara, and therefore they don't have any kapara at all. And then comes Rav Yaakov Emden. Rav Yaakov Emden in the Ivit says, it's the madichim who have no chilek in Olam Abba. The people in the Irinidachas do have a chilek. But the madichim, those who cause them to go astray, they have no portion in the world to come. So when the Gemara says they have no portion, it's not talking about the people of the city, it's talking about those two people who convinced them, but the people of the city do have a kapara, they have a chance of going to Olam Abba. I'm not making a bracha because I made the bracha before. Okay? Just... That's good. Okay. Those Naim Latora says that these people are way more dangerous than the others that are mentioned before this. Before this Parsha, in Parsha's Re'e, we talk about a Navi Sheker, a Navi, a, a prophet who's a liar and convinced other people that he's a Navi. We also talk about relatives trying to convince you, Ki Yisiska ben Achicha, when Achicha ben when your brother tries to convince you to do something evil. Those people, we understand, right, they're doing something wrong. And the Torah even tells you, don't listen to them. You know what I'm saying? Like, the Navi Sheker, he needs a sign. If he doesn't give a sign, you don't have to listen to him anyway. A brother who comes up to you, he obviously is no gay abedover. He's somewhat related to you. He might hate you for something that you did to him when you were a little kid. Who knows what's happening with him? You have absolutely no idea. But an Ish Blial is someone who couldn't care less about anything. He doesn't have a future. So what does he care if he goes down along with you? What does he care about that? It would be like, and I don't want to compare anything, and I think part of the problem of why this keeps happening in America is because we keep giving them somewhat like airtime. Is that a shooter in any school is a guy who feels they have no future anyway. What difference does it make? If I'm going out, I might as well take 100 people with me. I know there was a person in the Jewel, you know, the Jewel on Howard, that this happened. A guy saw him do it. A guy, when COVID first came out, he started touching every bit of food that was out there, all the boxes that were out there, because nobody had any idea how COVID was working and what was going to happen with it and whatever it was. He was just touching every box. Why? He told the cops afterward. He said, I have COVID. If I'm going to die, I want everyone else to die with me. That's crazy that he thought touching everything in Jewel was going to kill everyone. Right? I, I, it, just, it was a nutty thing to do. But that's the idea behind it. That's what an Ish Blial is. An Ish Blial is a guy who really thinks... I have nothing anyway. I might as well take out as many people as I can while I go out. And that's scary because that person has no other agenda other than to kill himself. That's the scariest person out there. It's way more dangerous. And what they do will somewhat bear fruit. As if we know it's going to happen. It's not if it happens. It's when it happens. There's going to be a guy out there who's going to have a lot, a lot. It happened. Sorry. Who, who does have, 
<clears throat> so I, I'm going to speak. <clears throat> Is something out there? Can we pause? Okay. So we're going to try to go on here. So the Osnayim Latorah says, because they're going to bear this fruit, it's going to happen. We don't even speak about the Madichim, the guys who caused this to happen. We talk about the Korbanos, says the Osnayim Latorah. And we can't even tell you not to listen, because their poison's going to enter you no matter what. It's like looking up something online. You look up something online, that's going to stay in your head forever. Whether it's true or not makes absolutely no difference. You're going to think of that as the truth from that point on. That's the desired effect that they wanted in the first place. And these people who have nothing to lose anyway are going to try to convince you of how they're right over and over. That's how the Osnayim Latora says, An Ish Blial is way more dangerous than anybody else before them. Okay, the Surah Mor goes on and says, when it comes to your brother, your children, your wife, HaKadosh Baruch who's not so worried that something terrible is going to happen over here. Maybe they'll convince you of their beliefs in private. Maybe you yourself will be able to be convinced of something like that. But only fools are going to believe that. Only fools are going to take what somebody else is saying, and it's going to sound so important. This is Anoshim. And this we got to before, and Dave, this goes with what you were saying before. These are Chashuv people. Anoshim is only used in the Torah in reference to somebody who's important. And Anoshim, that are Bliya'al, who went off, so to speak, the way he's saying it over here. And with their audacity that they're willing to talk to somebody and trying to do something terrible can lead whole people to go astray. And that's the Iranidaka. So the Tzoramor is saying they use words that are sweeter than honey, that are smoother than marble, is the wording that I would use when it comes to stuff like that, to show that their belief is real, and they'll catch people out there. They're going to say, like, listen, you know these idols have no power, but you don't know about this one tribe that lives in South America by this certain area who have been known to have miraculous things happen one after the other. And they'll convince you of something like that, something that you've never heard of. And that's the wording of the Apostle, you've never heard of these people before, and somehow they're going to convince you that this thing was there. Now, I want you to remember, 2022, this is almost like unbelievable. Like somebody's going to be able to convince me that I should worship in a Bodhisattva that happens in South America or in India or something like that. Without the internet, without the internet, and that's one good thing about the internet, these people really had no access to the outside world. You went up to a town of maybe 10,000 people who were very simple people who didn't have a lot of learning and they weren't so smart. So at the end of the day, yeah, they ended up being convinced about these crazy things that were from other cultures which they knew nothing about. Says the Torah more, that's what these people do. And they were extremely successful. And remember, it's not a person from another town. It's a person from your own town and a person who was important at one point in time. A person who was Khashiv, who then became an Ish Blial, a person without any yoke, a person who didn't care about anything. That's the idea behind it. And Rav Hirsch says, this is not just about us. It's about a relationship that's not healthy. It's about a relationship that's not healthy with anybody that we have. This could be with a rabbi. It could be with another person that's really chashuv. You've got to be super careful. If an entire community falls prey to that person, that one person who comes along and says all these things, and then all of a sudden it's on the Jewish state, says Rav Hirsch, to maintain the integrity of the state and to make sure that those who are traitors to what the state stands for should be destroyed. And that's the concept, conceptually speaking, of what an Irnidakas is, that everybody's taken down that way. Now, Rashi says an interesting thing over here. He says, Anoshim, but not women. 
women cannot become, if they convince a city to go off, it will never be an irony dachas. He goes on about Iram, it's got to be from their city like we talked about before, but it can't be that way. Rav Yosef Engel, yeah, what were you going to say? How many times does it specify a nashim and nashim? It's a great call. Rav Yosef Engel, literally, I was just about to answer that question. Rav Yosef Engel says, only when the word anashim is extra can we darshan anything from it. Because obviously anashim just means people, right? It doesn't just mean men, excluding women. It means people. But if it's extra, for example, in this Pusik, all it needed to say was Yatsu Bene Bliao Mikir Becha. That's all it had to say. People that are lawless came out from among you. The fact that there's the extra word Anashim means it excludes women. Right? Now Anshe Sidom was the same way. The Pusik over there also excludes women, which is another story for another time. For that exact same reason, it all had to say was the B'nai Sodom. But the fact that it adds on the word Anshe shows you that it's something a little bit different. And I recognize that B'nai also means sons and not daughters. That is something to worry about. But regardless, that's the idea behind it. Now, I, I, there's a lot more when it comes to somebody from another city, but let's skip for one thing over here. There's an Orachai Makadosh here, which I do not understand, and I'm going to lead you to the parties, Yosef, when it comes to this, who says, the Orachai Makadosh says children are not included because they're not, nobody would listen to them anyway, but the Gemara does include children. It's another thing altogether right over there, so I'm not going to go into that right over here. There are some examples of an Irini Dachas in Tanakh, which is super interesting to think of. There are some real examples, quasi-examples of this. Rechaim Knievsky points out in Yoshua Parachot Beis, I'm going to tell you a little bit of whatever it is, when Reuven, Gud, and Chatzis, Shev, and Asha decided they were going to stand the Avery Yard on the other side of the Jordan River, when that happened, so Yoshua agreed with it, Moshe Rabbeinu agreed with it, right, back in Parshish Matos Maseh, he agreed with it, but he told them on condition, they had to fight in Eretz Yisrael with the rest of Bnei Yisrael. Then after they finished fighting, then they would be allowed to go back and they could take over the land on the Avera Yardin. They were allowed to leave their women and children there. The women, children, and elderly were allowed to stay on the other side of the Jordan River. These people had to cross over and then they had to cross back. After all those years were done, that's what they were going to do. How they're going to go after that. Yoshua, Parak Bays, that's what happened over there. Now, as they went back, as they went back, they built a massive Mizbeach on their side of the Jordan River. A massive Mizbeach. Now, the people saw this, the people in Eretz Yisrael, and they were like, what in the world just happened? They thought that they were going to make a Mizbeach and they were going to have their own temple on the other side of the Jordan River. So they immediately went and told Yoshua, right, and the other people around there, if Yoshua was or whatever it was, and he sent Pinchas to go check out what's going on, thinking that they were going to have to start a war. Pinchas and representatives from every one of the tribes, obviously, aside from Reuven and Gud, were sent to be able to ask them, what's going on here? So they went up to them and they said, listen, if you want to come back to Eretz Yisrael, come back to Eretz Yisrael. We'll redivide up the land, even though they already divided up the land. We'll redivide up the land. We'll make sure you're here. But just because you're over the Jordan River doesn't mean you're off the derech now. You can't just do your own thing. You can't build a Mizbeach. You have to be together with us. They said, chas v'sholem. That's not what we meant whatsoever. We wanted to do a sign that if you ever thought that we weren't part of Klal Yisrael because we're on the other side of the Jordan River, this Mizbeach should be a reminder that we're part of you. And that we're part of you and that we're going to stay in the... Um, sorry. Um, it's pretty good, pretty good, right? Ten minutes? I got 10 minutes out of it. Anyway, they said they wanted to show that they were still part of Klal Yisrael. The Raubag, 
on that Pasuk says that the reason why they wanted to kill them is because they judged them as an ear hanidachas. That's what they thought. They thought that this city was considered like an ear hanidachas, and that's why they, they deserved to die. They had already started worshipping idols. Now, they weren't, and they weren't killed. It wasn't an Iranidachas. But that's an example of an Iranidachas being done, or almost being done, because of the concept of what they were going to do, what they thought they were going to do. The second is Yericho. Everybody remembers in Yoshua and Perikvav that he sent the people of Yericho to destroy the people of Yericho themselves. Now, Yericho was a city that was filled with magic, and they were not Jewish. But Yericho was totally destroyed completely. Everybody in it was going to be killed. They could not keep any of the possessions of those people. Anything that they had, they weren't allowed to keep. And that was like an Iranidachas. Just like an Iranidachas, you're not allowed to keep anything inside there, and anything that's in there has to be destroyed, and all the people have to be killed as well. That is what happened to Yericho. Even though... It's not Jewish, and it's not exactly near Nidachas. The Yalkut Shimoni in Yoshua quotes from Rabbi Brechia that they judged Yericho as if it were in Iranidachas. That's example number two. Number three is a Tzopnas Paneach. So the Ragachavar says in Parsh Vayira Yudchas Chavdalid that Sidom and Amora being destroyed through sulfur and fire was because a Kaddish Baruch was destroying them as an Irhanidachas. Even though there were technically five cities destroyed, only two of them, he says, were destroyed by sulfur and fire. Not three, because you can't have three Irhanidachas. You can only have two at a time. So Stoman and was built, destroyed that way, and not the other three. That's why the Malachim were sent there to warn them about what they were doing, because you can't do that without Hasra first. That's why two Malachim were sent because they were Adim, witnesses, how evil this city was. That's also why Lot was not allowed to keep any of his possessions, that even if they turned backward, they were turned into salt. Now, Margolis Young talks about this, but that's a concept of Niranidachas. And if you tell me, but they also weren't Jewish, you're right. But the Sodom cities were before the Torah was given. So this may be, according to this idea from the Tzapnas Paneach, the only example of an Iranidachas that actually happened. Except it wasn't done by Sanhedrin, it wasn't done by Bezdin, it was done by a Kaddish Baruch Hu himself. So those three examples, either the people, the two, two and a half Shvatim, the one on the other side of the Jordan River, or Yericho, or Sodom, are three examples of where it could be that we did have an Iranidacha somewhere around there. Now, Shalosh Shuvah's Mari Cohen asks, is an Iranidacha only for Avodah Zarah? Is it for any other Avera? Let's say two people come to a city and convince them to do Gilea Rias, which means, you know, to do illicit relations. Is that considered an Iranidachas? Well, if you consider Sodom an Iranidachas, was Sodom known as an Avodazara city? Does anyone remember a Medrash that talks about Avodazara with Sodom? What were they? They were just evil, stealing from people, punishing people, torturing people. That's what they did. But they didn't have anything to do with Avodazara necessarily. I don't remember any measure that deals with Avodazara. So we see that an Irinidachas, in theory, does not have to be Avodazara. It could be anything. Anything. And that's really interesting. Yuriko as well. Yuriko doesn't necessarily say the were of the It just means that there were evil people. It's possible that those show, like the Rambam says, it's in Mori Nebuch and Chelet Gimel, Parak Memalaf, that this din seemingly applies to everything and not just the Yeah, David. So, 
I don't, I, you know, I don't know, because again, before the Torah versus after the Torah. After the Torah was given, it seems to be a Jewish thing. Before the Torah was given, maybe it wasn't necessarily, because there were no Jews. But after the Torah was given, I would say, yes, so it's a three, Jewish thing. Okay, if it's the three big ones, that applies to everyone. Gila, no, 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 100%, right, any of those are veros. But nonetheless, since the Torah says, Yerunidachas, and it says, it's clear that it only applies to us nowadays. That for us, for sure, it would only be mikir becha. It has to be from among you. Right? Even a border city wouldn't count. Even a city outside of Eretzestral wouldn't count near any Dachas. So it's clear it's got to be that way. And the last thing that we'll do over here is Revel Yashiv. Revel Yashiv wonders why there was a special din for the situation where people were convinced to do a Vodazara. Seriously, shouldn't this be on the Madichim and not on the Dachim? Listen, somebody convinced me to do something. I, I, was, I, I fell prey to their arguments because, you know, I just don't know enough. So I'm the one that gets punished? Shouldn't the Madichim be punished? The people that are doing it, and granted, they are punished, they get skila. But this special din of where all our money is destroyed and we get a special din together of, of saif, of all being killed by the sword, the irinidachas is talking about the people that were convinced. But the people who were convinced, are they that bad? Are they that bad that they get to be punished? And I get the concept of where if you have a rav and a talmud, divra rav, divra talmud, divra me shomen, who are you going to listen to, the master or the student? And I get that. You shouldn't listen to people trying to convince you. But if you were in a weak state and you got convinced and there were other people that got convinced with you, you have a whole city that got convinced. Is that really that guy's fault? Listen to Revel Yashiv. This, this is the biggest lesson out of all of it. This is the definition of Jush Schar. He says, yeah, yeah. Because the only reason why you were convinced to do it is because you didn't learn enough. That's your own fault. What do you mean you didn't know enough so that you got convinced by these people that came back to your city who went to yeshiva, then went off a little bit, and are trying to convince you to do something bad. That's your fault. It's, of course it's your fault. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know is not an answer. That means, so go and know it. So you can answer them back. If a Jews for J guy can destroy you in an argument, then you've got a problem. You went to yeshiva for 12 years. Granted, they didn't teach you how to answer Jews for J guys. I definitely agree with that. That's something that I don't even think we can work on because I don't want to, whatever. But it's something on your own. If you haven't finished, I'm sorry? So go learn those four and five lines. You know what I'm saying? Like find out what they would do and destroy them on it. There's no reason why anyone here has, no one here has an excuse to be convinced by other people about things that should send, that could send you off. There's no question. You have the time. You can put forth the effort. Seth Rolyashev, if you didn't study, if you didn't go through and do it yourself, if you don't have that full faith in a Kaddish Baruch that I expect you to have, then if somebody convinces you to do something otherwise, yes, you are blamed. Nobody else, not the people who convinced you, even though they also get a punishment, but that's not for this. You are blamed. Why? Because you should have worked harder. Because you should have done more. And if you didn't, we're 100% going to put it on you. Learn Torah more. Do more. Do more. If you had a question, you said to yourself, well, I didn't know about this or I didn't know about that. Great. Go to my Navi Shir on Wednesday night. Or go to my Alacha Shir on Tuesday night. Or go to my Agatha Shir on Monday night. Or I've got tons of Shirim online. Like, what are you doing? Like, what else could you possibly be doing? Working? Come on, you're not really working. So instead, go ahead and spend all your days doing this, and then you'll knock out every Jews for J guy that there is out there in the world, and then you'll have no questions for the rest of your life. Somebody comes up to you and says, well, I don't understand. 
How could it possibly be that you don't believe in Christianity? You'll be like, oh gosh, okay. And you'll give them the 30-second elevator pitch that I give these guys whenever they come up to me and talk to me. I don't get them enough. I've only been able to give it three times. But you know my elevator pitch, my 30-second elevator pitch that I gave in Atlanta. So you just go ahead and you do it. And then all of a sudden, you destroy everybody. You want to know what it is? Learn more. Okay, that's it, guys. We'll stop with that. Have a great Shabbos.